Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of other people who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. So one quick note before we get started. This new year, we're trying something new. And instead of posting a podcast episode every Tuesday, as we have for the last five years, we are going to try a new episode every other Tuesday. And on the alternating Tuesdays, we will be hosting a live webinar online. That will be a Zoom slash Facebook Live webinar. The link will be available on our Facebook page, and we will promote it across social media. It will be Tuesdays from 1130 to 1215 over the lunch hour Central Standard Time. You can attend in anonymous privacy. Uh, It is set up so that only the panelists, which will include Bridget and I, will be visible. And so if you want to communicate with us, you can do so via chat. And there will be recorded versions of the webinar that we will also post across social media if you're unable to join us during the lunchtime. With that, we proceed with this episode. Hello, Terry. Hello, Bridget. So when I first heard the term dual diagnosis, I thought it meant someone was diagnosed with two conditions like depression and anxiety. But I was wrong. Dual diagnosis is when someone experiences a mental illness and a substance abuse problem simultaneously. Either can develop first. I didn't know that either. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, sometimes a person who is experiencing a mental health condition turns to drugs and alcohol as a form of self-medication. Abusing substances can also lead to mental health problems because of the effects that the drugs have on the person's moods, thoughts, brain chemistry, and behavior. Still quoting NAMI, about a third of all people experiencing mental illnesses and about half of people living with severe mental illnesses also experience substance abuse. These statistics are mirrored in the substance abuse community, where about a third of all alcohol abusers and more than half of all drug abusers report experiencing a mental illness. Men are more likely to develop a co-occurring disorder than women. Today's guest, Don, is one such man. We met Don on our Facebook community page, where he regularly offers insights and support. He also listens to this podcast, and he reached out to say he wanted to share his story here as a way of getting his toe in the door to helping people. We believe that by sharing his story, he's busting down the door. Don has a history of addictions, or what are now called substance use disorders, He also has anxiety disorder and clinical depression. He is also a veteran, a father of six, a grandfather of five, and a great-grandfather. Each of those describe just a part of Donald Sircone, who, like all of us, is so much more than his diagnoses. 
Here is Don giving his voice to depression. Donald, like many of us, believes his depression and anxiety were unwelcomed roommates long before he realized they had moved in. And I've been suffering from uh, clinical depression, I think, a lot longer than I believe. I can't pinpoint the exact time, but now looking back, I see all my anxieties. I was one of them kids that didn't want to miss a thing in the neighborhood. And if I did, I would suffer like severe anxiety. Like my friends went somewhere and I missed it. Uh, And I didn't understand those feelings back then. I didn't know what they were. Don was nearly 40 before those feelings were finally named. In 1996, I was uh, professionally diagnosed originally bipolar, which was wrong. They put me on lithium and all these mood stabilizers, and it made me nuts. And... I went back for a second diagnosis, and I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and clinical depression. They immediately put me on Prozac because back then, that's, I think, all there was, Prozac and Zoloft. A quick note, if I may. Don uses words like nuts and crazy when he tells his story. And it's his story, so he can use whatever words he wants. But we want to quickly point out in the way so many commonly used words are now being re-examined. Those are now recognized as examples of stigmatizing language, so we no longer use them. Not a slam, just a point. Back to Don and his experience with meds. So, through a hit-and-miss process of elimination, we found the proper cocktail for me which is ESCitalopram and uh, gabapentin for the anxiety. So what does the proper cocktail look and feel like for you, Don? What's the difference between being on the right meds and not? Oh, wow. Without them, it's it's like night and day. Uh, I thought I didn't need the gabapentin, so I stopped taking it. And it turns out that once it's out of my system and I don't have it in me, I really, I mean, I'm anxious. I mean, my chest hurts by the end of the day. And I was going crazy, so I started taking it again. And it eases the anxiety. It doesn't make it go away completely, but it's enough that I can live because this anxiety, and especially the depression, is is truly debilitating. Uh, I can't get out of bed. I mean, there were nights that I went to bed at 11 o'clock at night, and I didn't get out of bed until two days later. And I would actually sleep off and on for 48 hours. And... It was really tough going, so I never did that again as far as not taking my medication. And then the depressant, antidepressant, without that, that's, I won't even go there. It's dark. My depressions get really dark. 
And here's where we double back to the definition of dual diagnosis and the fact that about half of people living with severe mental illness also experience substance abuse. But I've been in and out of the rooms of uh, NA and AA since 93. My drug of choice was, oh, I'll try that. Uh, Cocaine, LSD, alcohol, uh, pain medication, that kind of thing. And if I take pain medication now... I had it for an operation I had. The following day, I am so depressed for like days on one pain pill, so I can't take those anymore. Don says he's been sober for quite a while now, and he credits his recovery journey for the quality of his support network. When you join an association like Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, there's power in the masses. We all know that. So that's like why they congregate for church every Sunday. You bring all those souls into one building, there's a power about it. And you just meet people along the way and people you like and that you can speak with and tell them anything without judgment, or uh, those are the ones you keep in your support network. Don says there are only about five or six people in that network. And since he's moved to Florida, where he says he is really finding relief in the extra sunshine, most of them are now a thousand plus miles away. But it doesn't matter these days with, you know, uh, video messenger and Skype and FaceTime. And it's miraculous for us people who need people. This is this technology is is incredible. It's it's moved us so far, far forward. You know, you people we used to say, well, I don't like just talking into a receiver. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. You can just you could look at somebody face to face. And so it's made recovery life a lot simpler. Made it simpler, Don says, not by just providing some additional avenues of connection, but by removing an excuse to not reach out. I mean, you know, our worst, one of our worst enemies is the excuse when you're an addict, you can rationalize. I can rationalize anything and make it sound good to myself. I guess that's our superpower, <laughs> us addicts. But uh, yeah, that was that really helped because even with the doctors now, you know, we go to doctors' appointments online. I, that's how I do all my psychiatric care with the VA is video, like we're doing now, except they use their own. Don says the Veterans Administration has been a source of support for him on many levels. I'll tell you, the VA for for mental health is just amazing, other than the fact they're limited in the medication they can give you. But uh, their inpatient is just amazing. It's caring and compassionate. I've gotten a few of my uh, support network 
through the VA, people I was in inpatient with. And I tell you, they, they work hard for you. To be honest, caring and compassionate is far from the most used phrases we hear from our guests when they describe their treatment. So we asked Don to elaborate on his experience with the VA. They've made leaps and bounds in their care for uh, mental illness. And now that they're discovering, you know, the, the old shell shock or battle fatigue is now PTSD. They've found something that they can group all these symptoms to and, and, and care for that person according to these symptoms. Now they know. It's just not that you're afraid of loud noises or you're just so tired that you can't go on. These are symptoms. Don's military training may be one reason he so consciously arms himself to fight off his depression. Music is another of his weapons. I, I'm a music fanatic. That's my how people watch TV. That's how, how I deal with music. See, I take a lot of, you know, song lyric and apply them to my life, and a lot of it works. Like, there's one in particular by an artist at the end of the song. He says, the days I put my gratitude higher than my expectations, I have good days. And I like that. Yeah, I, I did. It hit me really hard, and I use that. It's like my mantra right now. Well, that's worth repeating. When I put my gratitude higher than my expectations, I have good days. Hmm. Because they're not all good, right? But with experience and discipline, they can often be managed. I don't know what. Sometimes I'll be fine one second, and then I'll be staring off, zoning out. And next thing you know, I'm in my head. Next thing you know, I'm... I'm down. But now, when that happens, I used to just let it go, and it would really turn into an episode. Now what I do, if I feel that, I'll go in my room and or out on the lanai, you know, back porch and in the sun, and just play some music. Whatever my mood is, I play the opposite. Like, if I'm down, I play poppy music. If I'm up... I'll play whatever. It doesn't affect me when I'm feeling good. It just makes me feel better. And it is such a great tool to fight depression, anxiety, you know. Don has learned over the years that our tools work best and quickest when we pull them out as early on the slide down as possible. Yeah, if you get on it right away... Your fix it. It may not work, but it's a better chance than just sitting there doing nothing. You're guaranteed to suffer if you do nothing. But do not lay in your bed. Those are the worst, worst times. And as a depressed person, don't be one of them guys that lays in bed and watches TV and stuff. That's definitely not a good thing. Don says while he's feeling good now, he still remembers what bad felt like, and it was empathy-building bad. I know what it feels like. When I see a friend or a family member in the same boat, it just it rips my heart out. 
because a lot of times, more times than none, they don't have depression. They don't suffer from it. You know, that's you. That that disease is yours, not mine. Because they're embarrassed or they think they're crazy. See, we need to switch that around. Just, you know, you're not crazy because you have a mental illness. You're you're ill, but you're not crazy. It's It's a disease. It's not... I, I'm so flustered with this. This you know, snap out of it, rub dirt in it, and take a lap. Uh, whatever. I, I can't handle no more. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? you know over and over again? What can I do? What? Well, just sit here. Let me talk. That's all I want. That can be such a seemingly impossible point to communicate to the people around us. So we asked Don to go into that a little deeper, and his answer reveals how our wants and needs can shift at different phases of a depressive episode, which makes it important to ask the question, how can I support you today? Well, I don't speak well when I'm depressed, along with everybody else, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but... I don't like to talk to people, especially when they start joking with me. I just get so irritated, and I get more mad or angry, and and it's like, leave me the alone. Just leave me alone. If I want to talk, I'll talk, and and it's more likely just going to be to vent or to get what's in my head out. I don't need you to respond. I don't need, you know, maybe a hug. Or uh, I hope you're feeling better later or something. But I I don't want to carry on one of these grab-ass, you know, conversations where you're joking with one another. I certainly wouldn't have the energy for it. No, that's what it is. It takes energy. That's what it is. I've been thinking what it does to me, and that's that's it. You just solve or answer the question of mine why I get like, like why I don't want to speak or why I don't want to do it, because all my energy is directed inward. You said a bit ago that you're surrounded by people who don't understand depression. What do they need to understand? What do you wish they understood? Just me, the way I am. I mean, I'm like predictably unpredictable. You know, like they know I'm moody. They know... When I'm like that, I don't like to talk. I don't like to do it. And, and they seem to feel that it's their place to make me feel better. And But they don't understand how to do it. And I explain to them, just don't say anything. If you see me walk into a room, you say, how you doing? And I, I'm honest. I don't say, oh, I'm good when I'm not. I don't hide that anymore. I come out, if they ask how I'm doing, I tell them exactly how I'm doing. And they just don't want to leave me alone when I'm in in an episode. And I just want them to respect what I'm going through. Just respect it. You don't got to fix it. You don't got to do anything. So I get what you're saying as a person with depression, as a person living with someone with depression, I always want to make it better. 
even though I know because I have it that I can't. So, I mean, how do you address that? Like, it's it's totally natural for somebody to not want someone they care about to be hurting. Okay, I don't, I don't jump in anymore like I used to. I used to do the same thing. Come on, let's do something. Let's get out of this. And maybe if you got busy and this and that. Now, I can read a person that I know uh, what they're going through. And if I see any sign of what I go through, I leave them alone. I'm there and I let them know I'm there. If you need to talk, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to try to fix anything. All I'm going to say is that when you're ready, let's talk. It's like the other old saying, the old adage that uh, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, and I want them to know that. And then when it comes time, then they can lay down their instructions, what they want me to do. And then I'll do it. If they tell me, then fine. If not, I keep my mouth shut and except for the fact that I tell them I'm here for you. That's how I handle it. I don't know anybody else how they do it. But I give them what I expect. And that seems to work. That insight and instinct are some of the rewards of lived experience. That's that's our leverage or our advantage because we know how far we can go with another depressed person and what we can do. We try out what we want done to us, and usually that's what works. When you tell them when you're ready to talk, then, then it's only a matter of minutes before they spill their guts and get all that stuff out of their head. But if you push, it's like a teenager. You know, the more you push them to do something, the more they resist. And it's the same thing with depression, because I think depression takes away a lot of your maturity, because you just want to sit there and stomp your feet and moan and cry and this and that. But you fight that. One other thing Donald fights is stigma. But I'm not afraid of the stigma. I don't care. I I will hunt you down. And I will talk about my depression because that's the only way to get through. It, 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 your, your, your therapy only works for as honest as you are with your therapist. The more brutally honest you get, the more help you're going to get. Oh, Don, I'm so glad we hunted you down. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that he said you're guaranteed to suffer if you do nothing, and it is such a temptation to do nothing. Yes, it is, but it is like keeping your hand right on that hot burner. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate hearing from Don that his experience of AA and the VA was a valuable resource for him. And that online therapy has allowed him to continue with all of his support. And, you know, basically he's finding a way to meet his needs even in these strange online times. Absolutely. It's good to hear somebody uh, for whom it's all working, right? Yeah, but you and I and Don all know that that goes up and down. Speaking of flux and up and down, you know, it was evident in this interview that there are times when Don wants people to talk to him and other times when he'd rather that they really, really didn't force him to talk to him. And I love that that, that 
flux in, in our needs is, is so well articulated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and as I said in the, the piece, I think that that's why we have to ask, how can I support you today? Because the support might be, leave me alone, as he said, um, or it might be, just listen to me. So it's good, it's good to know how to ask that question as well as somebody trying to support someone with depression. And a reminder to please join us for a live webinar every other Tuesday from 11.30 to 12.15 Central Standard Time. And you'll find the link on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page. Or if you need it, email me, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com. We'd love to connect with you there. Yeah. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Don, and keep listening to your music. <laughs> We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.